If you would turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 8. Gospel of Mark and chapter 8. We're going to start reading with verse 27 and move to 38. As Rachel mentioned, did the original people who laid down their palm branches and their coats and and uh, hollered out, Save us! Hosanna! Uh, did they really know what they were saying? Did they really know who they were cheering on? Uh, because the reality shows, the Scripture shows, this week will show us that the same people who said, Save us, are later saying, Crucify Him. Do we really know? Do we really know? Notice Mark eight twenty-seven. <laughs> Probably uh, one of the scriptures I quote the most, if I had to just assess myself in my own life, is this text right here that we're about to read. Maybe because it's so close to my heart and I'm trying to remind myself. And Jesus went on with His disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told Him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered Him, You are the Christ. And He strictly charged them to tell no one about Him. And He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And He said this plainly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your holy Word. This Word is for us. This Word is for me. Would You apply these ancient words to our hearts this morning by the relevant 
active Holy Spirit in this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, watching a baseball game yesterday, um, professional baseball, the Braves, which is my professional team, uh, I noticed that there were some errors made. Just basic stuff. Things like not swinging when it's really close. <laughs> this guy's up to bat, ball comes in. I mean, it's, it's right there. You know, me, I, I, I umpired for about 12 years. Um, and I would have rung him up. You know what I'm saying? Two strikes on, you got to protect the plate. Ball. Another pitch comes in. Very, very close again. I would have rung him up. Ball. Hasn't swung the bat yet. Another pitch comes on in. Very, very close. Again, he had, he's had two strikes this whole time. And finally, the umpire rings him up. Rah, out. Right? I'm like, good, because it was the opposite team. I'm just thinking, if... It's that close. Don't you know you got to protect the plate? I mean, that's something they teach in Little League, man. You can't let three balls that are borderline. At some point, the umpire's going to get tired of calling balls. And he's going to ring you up. I thought to myself, sometimes you just got to get back to the basics. Uh, there were several error, other errors, man. I thought to myself, God, these, these guys need to go sit in on my Little League. You know? And I just got back... From, from watching the little guys and, and what they're being taught is the basics that if they would have done that in the professional game, you know, they would have won the game. In which case, they didn't because of errors. And so I translate that into this this morning to say sometimes we need to get back to just the basics. Not any kind of, you know, highfalutin stuff or advanced theology. We just need to sometimes get back down to the basics. Just doing fundamental stuff. And when we start talking about fundamental Christianity, I don't mean politically. When we start talking about back to the basics Christianity, two things are going to surface. <laughs> Jesus and His cross. There is no Christianity without Jesus and the cross. There is no Easter without Jesus and the cross. Paul comes to Corinth, that troubled church. Like every church, disunity, problems in worship, problems with factionalism, problems with eschatology, problems with the Lord's Supper, problems with all kinds of stuff. And here's what he says to them. I didn't come to you with eloquent speech. I could have. He was trained by Gamaliel, a famous rhetorician in the ancient world, in rhetorical skills. I could have come to you with a nice sermon that would have wowed you, made you, brought you to tears. But instead, I came to you preaching Christ and Him crucified only. Again, I say... Sometimes we think we're advanced. Let me rephrase that. Sometimes I think I'm advanced. I've heard the old, old story. We don't need to revisit it every year. Surely we can go beyond this whole Palm Sunday and, you know, Holy Week. We don't need, I mean, we can skip over that and get to the advanced stuff. You know, the back of the book stuff. Revelation, let's talk about that. 
Everybody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about the cross. We're beyond that. We're adults. Give the kids the whole Jesus died for you thing. Give us something more. And what I'm saying is, Paul, along with (laughs) Jesus' message to his disciples here, says, look, there's only two things that are fundamental here, and that's Jesus and His cross. Anything else is of Satan. Did you not hear what he said to Peter? Peter says, hang on, whoa, whoa. Listen, I know you're saying you're going to suffer and all this stuff and you always kind of encrypt stuff. And we're, you know, Let me just interpret. Not going to happen. I'm concealed carry. Not going to happen. You know, Peter carried a sword around. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Why so, why so strong with Peter? Well, I think Peter could take it. <laughs> Um, but the other part of this is that is not the way of God. Any way that is not the way of the cross is not the way of God. Any way that goes around the cross is not the way of God. There is no getting to God without the cross. The cross is the bridge between God and man, not just the wood that's there, but who's on it. And so I keep coming back to this text. I can't, in my own life, forget this text. It is a pivotal text in the book of Mark. It really is the pivot in Mark. Uh, The first half of Mark deals with a very public ministry of Jesus. He's healing people, casting out demons, so on and so forth. We talked about that. We talked about this spiritually charged world. I mean, the very first thing you get in Mark is a demon, possessed man, as Jesus is preaching. You're thinking, wow, this is scary and weird. And now his focus shifts. He's as high north as he's going to go. And now he drops back down and sets his face to Jerusalem. And this is the pivotal moment. This confession of Peter, you are the Christ. And this prophecy of suffering and death. It's not just death. It's also his passion. Which is why this is called Passion Week. I thought passion was just man. You know, you got to have a passion to play the game. No. The root of that word passion is suffering. The color for passion is purple. Why? Did you not hear the text we read earlier? They put that robe on him. Purple represents kingly. They accused him of being a king. Mocked him for being a king. <laughs> and all the while he was the true king, all the while he never said anything. That's part of his suffering. He never tried to defend himself. He went as a, as a lamb to the slaughter, Isaiah says again. And so who do you say that I am, is what Jesus asked him. Who do you say that I am? What do people say? Now who do you say that I am? And we have to ask ourselves, again, this is very basic today. Who is this? Who is Jesus? That's the greatest question you ever ask yourself. It's greater than who you marry. It's greater than where you work. It's greater than the question, who am I? Who is Jesus? How you answer that question is going to determine all the other things. 
It is the greatest question in the world. There's no greater question than who is Jesus Christ. And the answer matters. And if they got it wrong and they were with Him in the flesh, could we also have it wrong? Could we have also made an American Jesus? A Madison Huntsville Jesus? I mean, this is an affluent area. The things we complain about, people would long to be able to complain about. Who is he? Um, went to a Promise Keepers meeting one time with, with a million other guys, which was really awesome, um, in Washington, D.C. And we sang this song, Knowing You, Jesus. Probably, I mean, it was when the Promise Keepers thing was real big, it was, it was the big song. You know, it was, it was the premier song for them. Knowing You, Jesus, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. It's a prayer. That would be our prayer. That would be my prayer. When I preach, as I told you, you're really just overhearing what God's saying to me, and I'm sharing it with you. You say, man, He's talking to me. No, I'm talking to me. It just so happens that you're with me. (laughs) We're in the same boat, like the disciples were when He called... When he called Peter's way wrong, he was calling their way wrong because they were thinking the same thing. He was just saying what everybody else was thinking. I'm just saying what everybody else is thinking and what God wants us to hear this morning and what we don't want to think and what we don't want to hear. Peter didn't want to hear that, and yet he needed to. And we need to ask ourselves this question, who is Jesus? Is He really the greatest thing? Is He really your all? Is He really your best? My best, my righteousness, do you love Him? The whole purpose of of our creation, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, is to know God and to love God. I think that's the summary of the whole Bible, isn't it? Knowing God, loving God, that's why He created us out of love. He didn't have to create us. He didn't need anything. He needs to be the sinner, we know that. And yet He's not. Why? Because we're lopsided. We're the ones off, off, the, off the rocker. Not Him. He's at the center. We just don't know it. Or refuse to see it. Or are blind to it. And that's what's dangerous. So again, we come to this week. This holy week. This week that confuses us. This week that that disrupts our normal activities with services and prayers and fastings and and thinking about a cross and blood and nakedness and mockery and spitting upon not just a man, but God. I mean, we had our shot at God. He was finally here, all our rage about what's happened to us in the past, all the bad stuff that we've gotten angry about Him over. Why? Why me? Why this? Why that? 
Now here's our shot and what do we do? We kill him. We spit on him, mock him, make fun of him, strip him naked. Make him suffer. You say, well, that wasn't me. And looking out there, I'd say, oh yeah, it looks like you wouldn't do something like that, honestly. I mean, you know, looking out there at you guys, you look pretty sharp. Don't look to me like you would ask for that kind of thing to happen to someone. And neither did the people who laid those down a week beforehand. But how fickle we are. How blinded we are. How sinful we are. If you haven't heard your voice in that crowd, then you've probably never repented, truly, of your sins. Because of our sins, we were part of that. Because of our wrongdoing, we did that. I did that. Jesus says this, If anyone would come after me, notice these words, if anyone would come after me, he won't force you. It's an if. It's a conditional clause, basic grammar. If you will come after me, if you want me, He won't force it. And yet, we can have Him this morning. That's the good news. We can have God in us this morning. He can be ours and we can be His. What prevents us? Not Him. It's not on His side. It's on our side. It's our selfishness. It's our self-conceit, our self-concern, our self-interest. You know, it's really interesting that, the, that sometimes the worst thing you can do in life is love. <laughs> love hurts, doesn't it? When you choose to love, that means you're going to get in a relationship that you could be hurt in. More than likely, you will be hurt in. No one's eternal, so they will leave you at some point, whether by death or by sin. Love is... It's not always a good thing at first, but it also is the best thing. At the same time, it's the worst thing to us sometimes to get involved with. It's also the best thing and the only thing worth living for, isn't it? I mean, what else is there better to live for? Cars, houses, money. You know that stuff fades. In this area, you already know that. There are people in Africa who dream of having what you have of what we have. That's what their idol is. Our idol is beyond that. Who knows what it is? It turns into all kind of debauchery. We all have our idols. We all have our sins that we struggle with, what we call demons and truly are. And yet love conquers all. But to get involved with love means it's going to cost you it always costs. You know, no one forced us to have four children. We just liked the first one so much we wanted a second. 
Like the second so much we wanted a third. Like the third so much we wanted a fourth. It was out of love. And a union of love. This is why God creates. He likes us. Can you believe it? Even with all our problems. Even with all our dirty diapers. Even with all our sleepless nights. That He's had to stay awake pacifying us, helping us. He loves us. He likes us. He wants some more of it. He does. Which is why we keep continuing. As soon as He says enough, it's going to be enough. (laughs) People always ask, how many more kids are you going to have? How many more kids? I don't know. We ask God, when's it going to end? When's it going to end? I don't know. G.K. Chesterton, who was a brilliant uh, scholar, but writer, prolific writer as well, he says, you know, we look at the world as mechanical. It's not. God does all that stuff out there. All the flowers, He did that. He did well. You know, as soon as He talks about how a tulip is, is just comes up and then it dies and goes away, and then other tulips come up, He says the reason why we have tulips is because God's not tired of making them yet. He talks about how we grow old because of sin. And we become bitter and we just miss things. We just simply miss stuff, you know? Drive past it all the time and all of a sudden you're like, hey, there's a sign there that says that. Who knew? You've been driving past that for 10 years. We just get in our zone, get in our little world, and we don't even notice the beauty around us that He has made. He's dropping notes everywhere for us and we don't even see it. We're the ones who are, oh, God's a little kid who, who can't help but just do it again. Do it again. You know, you give a, a kid a little, a little, oh yeah, let's get the rodeo going. Da, da, da. You know, do it again. Okay, let's Okay, my leg is gone. I can't do it again, son. Chill out. Do it again, do it again. They would just keep doing it. God's saying, do it again. Reason son come up this morning, do it again. He's not tired of it yet. We're the ones who are old. We're the ones who don't want him, who don't like his world. And we get to take our anger out on Him in the cross. If you've ever been mad at God, the anger's already taken out on Him. You just join in with that voice, crucify Him. Get rid of Him. Be done with Him. Give us what we want. If anyone would come after me, He's not going to make you. He's not going to force you. He'll give you what you want in the end. That's a scary thing, isn't it? So what do you want? Is it Him? Is it money? Is it prestige? Is it pleasure? What, what, what do you want? What do you want that's greater than Him? I'm asking myself these questions this morning. We think God owes us. <laughs> that He should answer our prayers always and in the way we want them. Isn't that idolatry? Even Jesus' prayer doesn't get answered. What does that say for us? He says, let this cup pass from me. What cup? The cup of suffering. The cup that will become His blood for us. Let it pass from me. He prays three different times, just like Paul prayed for the thorn to be removed from his side, whatever that figure of speech means. And God's answer is the same for both. My grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. God is enough.
It doesn't matter your situation. It doesn't matter your sin. God is enough. I need to hear that. That's why I'm repeating it. I'm not treating you like children. I'm treating myself like a child today. Get back down to the basics. I heard of a famous coach who, after his football team did really bad, he came in the locker room and he said, this is a football. This is the way you hold a football. And these are professionals. This is what we're doing this morning. I'm saying, this is Jesus. This is His cross. That's all there is. Then you can get all the rest. It's not your way. It's not a roundabout way. There is no other way but through Jesus and His cross. And so He says, if you want to come after Me, (laughs) deny yourself. Now we know, and we'll talk about later in the week, Peter. Oh, Peter. He's so much like us that we like him and make fun of him. And we're really making fun of ourselves. He gets his cart before the horse often, doesn't he? Just like us. And Peter, who said, not going to happen. I'll be there with my concealed sword to make sure it doesn't. Peter, who seems to love God the most out of his disciples, be the spokesperson, be ready. I mean, he's ready to serve. He's ready to do whatever. Peter is going to deny Jesus three times. To a, little, to a little girl. Not to a big burly man ready to beat him up, but to a little girl. He's going to deny Jesus three times. And he'll break the Savior's heart if Jesus was at all human, which he was. To have your best friend in the world, your right hand man, the guy that's kind of like your bodyguard, or at least wants to be deny you. Curse and say He doesn't even know you. I've done that. I've denied Jesus. I've not spoke up for Him at times in the workplace. I've known I should have said something and did not because of fear of embarrassment. Can I be honest with you? Can you be honest with you? I've denied Jesus. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. Not me, but yourself. (laughs) John Wesley has a saying that stuck with me. Either you'll deny yourself or the Lord. There's no other choice. In this life, either you will get what you want and please yourself, give yourself what you want, or you will deny yourself and serve the Lord. Give yourself to Him. Love Him. Do what He wants. Build a kingdom for Him and not yourself. We must also come to a place in our Christian life, and this was challenging when I read this from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was hung by the Nazis at the end of the war in 1945. 
He said, we, we must come to a place where we say, I don't know the man. Our old man, our old self. We must come to a place where we say, I don't, I don't know that guy. That's, that guy is so different than what I've been made new into. Isn't Jesus, when He looks at Mary and says, I am making all things new. Is He making all things new? Are you the same old, same old that blows up? That resents people? That is obsessed with greed or fame or applause of men? We must say, I don't know the man. (laughs) You know, a personal testimony is greater than an argument, isn't it? I can sit down with somebody and destroy them through philosophy. But what does that help? But if I say to you, I used to be like this, and now I'm this because of Jesus Christ, what is there to argue about? That's a changed life. That changes lives. I'm not saying arguments aren't important. I tend to think they are. But they're not everything. They're just the 20%. The changed life is the 80%. We must have changed lives. We must have a new life. We must, as Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's not your same life. That's not your natural life. That is a supernatural life by the Spirit of God. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. His cross. Did you catch that? Not my cross, but his cross. That means my cross. That means I have a cross to bear in life. That means you have a cross to bear and your cross is not my cross. I don't know what you have to bear with, but I know you do suffer. I know you do struggle. I know that there is a cross that you bear if you are a Christian. And I don't tend to belittle yours over mine or mine over yours. That's not the point. We carry our own cross. This is not about us. It's about Him. And we follow Him to that place. Do you remember what it was called? Golgotha, the place of the skull, which represents death, obviously. People ask, where was God on 9-11? And I read a book that was titled by just that, Where Was God on 9-11? All the suffering, all the senseless pain and loss of, loss of life. The guy came to the conclusion that he's where he always is, seated at the Father's right hand, bearing still in his body the wounds of his suffering. He's finished his mission. If we want to get mad at him, that's already happened. That's in the past. We've already crucified God. We've already killed God. We've already spit on God. That's done. Now he's where he is now as the true King, as the only one who can help in time of crisis. And so we can still get mad, just like they were mad. 
We can join in their voice. Well, crucify Him. Get rid- if this is the kind of life, then crucify Him. Away with Him. But it's not going to do any good. He's the Lamb that was slain before the world ever even got started, the Bible says. In other words, it's always God's nature to be pure gift. He's never for Himself, which is so anti-martial. I'm the first one I think about (laughs) in a situation. How's this going to make me look? What's this going to cost me? And we begin to weigh out the options. God is not like that. God is pure gift. This is why He gives us His Son, His best of gifts, which is Himself. (laughs) God gives us God. Because only God can bridge the gap between mankind and God. And so how does He do that? By God. How does He save us? By God. Has He come to live within us? By God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You get in the repetition here? It's all God. It's not me. I don't save myself. It's not by what you do. It's by what He's done. Amen. And yet, we do. Once we say yes to Him, once we come after Him, right? Once we deny our way, then we pick up our cross and do what He does. Is that not what Paul was calling for? Have this mind which was also in Christ. What is that mind? It's a mind that is not for the self. It is a mind that is self-giving. And what we'll find is His yoke that we put on ourselves is easy because of who's carrying the cross with us. He gets Cyrene, uh, Simon of Cyrene uh, to help Him bear the cross. He bears our cross with us. We'll notice that he's actually with. Uh, uh, we're huffing and puffing, you know, trying to make a show, like show how hard we're working, and really he's pulling the he's pulling the grunt work. I like to do that when I'm working. Act like I'm working the hardest, you know. It's interesting that our baptism in the Bible is not just seen as the beginning of our journey with Jesus. It's actually seen as our death, which is a beginning. (laughs) We are buried with Him, Paul says, so that we might rise with Him. In baptism, we enter the waters of His suffering and death, only to be raised to new life. Jesus talks about being baptized, or John the Baptist talks about being baptized by the Holy Spirit. And we must. But the only way to be baptized with the Holy Spirit is to leave that old life, the flesh. You'll hear Paul mention this over and over again in the New Testament. Not the way of the flesh, but the way of the Spirit. We must die to our flesh and rise to the Spirit. You know, it's interesting. I heard an analogy the other week that stuck with me. When we used to have cell phones that only did phone calls and texting... The battery lasted three or four days, didn't it? Interesting, you know? Now that we got these smartphones where I've got everything here and watching television and, you know, Netflix and, and I'm calling people and texting people and what, you know, our, my, my battery doesn't even last a day. 
point being is when we have a lot of things going on in our life, we're going to lose the battery, battery life. We need to be recharged. How do we get recharged? Pray. Prayer is our recharging. That's where it plugs us into God, isn't it? And so if you have a lot going on, you say, man, I don't even have time to pray or do these sorts of things for God. No, that's when you most need Him. (laughs) You're going to be running on empty. You're going to (laughs) die. The phone's going to die if you don't get it charged up. Same thing for us. We must be plugged into God all the more if you say you're busy. That's not an excuse. That's all the more reason. C.S. Lewis, who was a very busy person, uh, again, great writer and all, he would be late for certain things because he was praying. How many of us have ever used that as an excuse for being late? I'm sorry, I was praying. (laughs) People would laugh at us, wouldn't they? They would laugh at me because they would know it wasn't true. Which is really sad, isn't it? What's going to change the world? It's not going to be our political fight. It's not going to be um, through any way that we could devise ourselves. It's going to be through a simple way. And that is carrying our cross. Isn't it weird to see those people on the side of the road carrying a cross? Just odd. You know, a, oh, okay. I give them a little honk. Hey, buddy, we're on your side, man. You know, saw one recently in Madison. It's, it's a reminder. We are to carry our cross. We are to die to ourselves. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you lose your life for Christ, you'll save it. It's backwards. Backwards to wisdom of the world, but it's God's wisdom. And it's overcome the evil one. We're talking about striving. And this is the last sermon, sermon on striving. What we must strive for the most is Jesus. If we've missed Him, we've missed the whole boat. Do you really love Jesus? It's not a question, you know, I can answer for you. Jesus turns to Peter after He calls him the rock and says... My church will be built on the rock and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Often I've taken that, and a friend corrected me the other week, often I've taken that to mean, oh yeah, you know, we're, we're buckled down, we got our defenses as a church and the gates of hell, boy, they can't... Go. That's not how gates operate. Gates are for protection, not for offense. Therefore, if we're talking about the gates of hell, that's for their protection. Therefore, it turns it around, right, to where we're on the offensive. We're rescuing people from hell. And the gates of hell will not prevent us from that. That's what ought to be happening in this room. Is there ought to be someone saved from hell. Well... We come to the end, and it's always hard to close. There's always things left unsaid. And, and uh, really, you just have one continuous sermon going forever till, till he comes. <laughs> um, my neighbor yesterday, who I just met, he told me, he said, you know, at this car auction that we have down here in 72, he said, uh, he said you know, they, they pass the cars by, and you have 30 seconds to say yes or no. This is the way we kind of do an altar call often, isn't it? 
You know, hey, all right, we got got all the singing done, got all the creed, got all this done, got all the readings done, got all the sermon done. Now, now, okay, you got thirty seconds, real quick. Um, make a decision, yes or no, with Jesus. What you got? What you got? Sounds like a salesman, right? Which I don't really like that kind of approach. Which is why some Sundays I don't even give an altar call. People can critique that, but that's the point. That's the reason why. If God is doing business with you, you're going to find an altar. If you're not doing business with God, I can open up five altars and be here for five hours and nothing will happen ever. This is between you and God. I can't make it happen. I wish I could. I wish there was some you know, formula that I know about that you don't know about that I could do to manipulate you, but then that would be witchcraft, which the Bible says don't do. And so all I can say to you is the words of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He said it best. I'm going to ask Rachel to come and play for us, but I want us to go into a time of prayer. This is a house of prayer. As I said a couple weeks back, we're now done talking about Jesus and now it's time to talk to Jesus. Amen.